Hello, Overcoming Monday listeners. We took a little bit of a break over the summer because our team at Clayton King Ministries has been running our annual Crossroads Summer Camp. So that means we've spent six straight weeks this summer serving students by helping them feel loved and sharing the gospel. This year, we celebrated 26 years of doing summer camp. We served over 87 groups from nine states, 3,000 students and leaders. We saw 650 professions of faith, 300 commitments to serve in ministry, and we raised $25,000 to support missionaries overseas. That means we took up $25,000 from teenagers and from student leaders to support people in overseas missions. These things are amazing, and I'm not usually a numbers person, but I think unless I tell you some of the numbers of what we've done, you don't quite understand the scope of what we do every summer. Each day of camp, we have two services, which include times of worship through praise and preaching. The messages are always so inspiring. So this year, I'm creating an entire podcast season so that you can hear some of the messages which I know will encourage you. And when you find them inspiring, I wanna ask you to do two things. First, share these podcasts with your friends, family, and people who you think will benefit. Secondly, we have our annual winter conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee for students where you can hear many of the same speakers from this podcast season. The dates this year are January 14 through 17, 2022. So if you're a youth leader, a student, or even a parent with teenagers, we would love to have you. You can sign up today at crossroadswinterconference.com. And if you mention Overcoming Monday when you register, you'll receive a special gift. Also, if you're interested in having Clayton or Marquise or Jacob or me come and speak at your church or event, you can visit claytonking.com forward slash speakers and fill out our speaker request form. That's claytonking.com forward slash speakers. So enough with all the information. Now let's get to the podcast. In the opening night of camp, my husband, Clayton King, preached a message on what it means to be reborn. He told the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and specifically explained the reason that Jesus waited several days to respond to the situation when he found out that Lazarus was sick. The raising of Lazarus was the seventh miraculous sign recorded in John's gospel, proving that Jesus was the Messiah. We saw hundreds of students respond for salvation after this message at Crossroads Summer Camp. I know you'll love this message, so let's get started. Oh my goodness. Hey, I, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to dive in. Here is the title for tonight's message, Reborn Literally. Don't you love it when people say the word literally? Some people say literally, and then other people say literally. But we're going to talk about all week long, it's our theme for the summer, we're going to talk about what it means to see Jesus literally change everything in your life, everything. So welcome to Crossroads Summer Camp, y'all. I've never... In 26 years, been this excited. I've never had to wait two years. Speaking of waiting, here is my first point. I hope you're all taking notes all week long. We hate to wait. Can anybody testify with me right now? 
Would anybody raise your hand to God and say, I hate to wait? Okay, well, that's a problem, but that's me too. I do not like to wait. Can I just tell y'all, if you're around me and I say the two words that are about to come out of my mouth, you need to listen and pay attention. Because if I say these two words, a countdown has begun. If I'm around you and I say, I'm hungry, we got about 18 minutes tops before things get real. Because eating is my spiritual gift. And I'm good at it. I hate to wait. Can, now, how many of you have your, uh, your driver's license or your beginner's permit? Or in some state, I think they call it the operators. Okay, raise your hand. Tell me, did you have to wait when you went to the DMV? The Department of Motor Vehicles. They get a bad rap. And I've got some folks from my church that work at the DMV here, and they do a great job. But I am telling you, if you want to see what it would look like if the government took over everything, just go to the DMV one day. We hate to wait. We don't like waiting. How about traffic? My wife is from Atlanta, Georgia. There is an interstate called I-85 that goes through Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm telling you right now, if you're praying for God to give you patience, he will probably sovereignly send you on a trip down I-85 to Atlanta, Georgia. Because you're going to be waiting. As a matter of fact, I've noticed, I don't know how it is in your town, where you're from. I know we got people here from Georgia and North Carolina and South Carolina and Florida and Virginia and Louisiana and Indiana. I, I, look, I don't know how your town is, but in Anderson, South Carolina, where I live, I am certain that in the last 12 months, I have wasted 87 hours at red lights because people in front of me as soon as the light turns red and they stop, they take out their phone and they begin to record a TikTok. Or they scroll Instagram. Or they're posting on Twitter. Or they're arguing with somebody on Facebook. Or if they're really old, they're on MySpace. We hate to wait. But the passage I'm going to preach from tonight is going to show you that sometimes waiting is a good thing. And one of the reasons I wanted to preach on this is because we've had to literally wait two years to do summer camp again. We've all had to wait this year. We've all had to wait on a teacher to start a class online. We've all had to wait on a vaccine. We've all had to wait for a virus to dissipate. We've had to wait for life to get back to normal. We've had to wait on events. We've had to wait on concerts. We've had to wait in line for takeout food. We've had to maybe wait outside of a grocery store because there were too many people in there at one time. We've all become well acquainted with waiting this year, and I know we hate to wait, but I want to read something to you from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. And I want to show you in the next few moments that we've got together that sometimes waiting has to happen before you're reborn. 
And our world feels like it's being reborn right now. That's where we're going to pick up. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. The scriptures will be on the screens. I'm going to read to you from my copy of the Bible. Uh, I have the Bible on my phone, but I also have the Bible in book form. Some of y'all have seen these before. They are ancient things that are now in museums like the Smithsonian. They're made out of paper, <laughs> but I still like to read uh, from, from the old school paper Bible. Let me read this to you. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a man was sick named Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick, so the sisters sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love, keep it right there, is sick. So I want you guys to just, we're going to leave that verse here for a second. Here's the setup for the story. Jesus had some close friends that lived in Bethany. I've been there. I've been to Bethany multiple times. Jesus loved everybody, but this, this man named Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were some of Jesus' very closest friends. Lazarus gets sick. Jesus is a good piece away from them. He's not in Bethany. He's further south. And they send a message to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. I'm going to translate the message for you. Hey, Jesus... We know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You can do miracles. Lazarus is sick. Get here now and come and heal him. That's what they wanted him to do. Verse 4, when Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he waited. He stayed two more days in the place he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea. Do you see that? Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, and he waits. We hate to wait. We don't like it when other people make us wait. We don't like it when we can't get what we want right now. And our phones are making it even worse. I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I'm watching a show on Netflix, I'll be honest with you, when I finish one episode of a show, right now I'm watching a show called Manifest. And I'm only on like episode three. But when I'm watching a show, I am so impatient when one episode is over, I can't even wait for the next episode to start on its own. I have to hit the little box down in the corner to start it to save myself three seconds. Right before I walked out on stage, I, I checked my phone, I put it on airplane mode, and I got a text. Now, this is a cool story. I got a text from my sister, Paige. Now, you may not know this story, and I won't tell you the whole story, but my sister Paige texted me and she said, I just got a notification that y'all are going live on Facebook right now. I'm watching. And I texted her back and I said, I'm going to give you a shout out in the sermon. The reason why that's important to me is because until two years ago, I didn't know I had a sister. I'd been waiting my whole life to find my biological mom and my biological dad. Forty 
eight years old today, and I didn't even know who my biological family was until I was 46. I had to wait all that time, but it was worth the wait because on the other side of waiting, I got to meet my sister, and I love her, and she's awesome, and she's watching right now, and Paige, I love you, and I'm glad that I waited. Sometimes a good thing is on the other side of waiting. What is Jesus doing here in John 11? Why is Jesus waiting? We can't always see what God is up to when we're waiting on things to get better. Some of y'all are waiting on your mom and dad to quit fighting. Some of y'all come from a home where there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of strife. Some of y'all are praying for your dad to quit drinking. And you're waiting on God to answer that prayer. Some of y'all are waiting for your mom to take you to church because you love church and she won't go. Some of y'all are waiting on a sibling to come to Christ or a friend to get saved. You've been praying for it. It hadn't happened yet. Some of y'all have a family member right now who has cancer or leukemia or Alzheimer's or diabetes or heart disease, and you're praying for God to help, and he hasn't yet done what you're praying for, and you're in a position, you're stuck in a place of waiting. Do not tune out of this message. Because when you're waiting, listen to me, God is working. While we're waiting, God is working. God is never bored. God never goes to the mountains or the beach or the lake for a vacation. He doesn't need to. God is never unreachable. He never turns his phone off. God is always up to something. God is always working on your behalf. So in this story of Lazarus, Jesus waits on purpose Jesus is working while Mary and Martha are waiting. Oh, and guess who else is waiting? Lazarus is waiting. He's sick. And in the days of Jesus in the first century, if you got sick, you didn't call 911. You couldn't go to the emergency care. You couldn't go to the 24-hour doctor. You couldn't go to the clinic. You couldn't do WebMD. You couldn't even drive to CVS or Walgreens and get an aspirin. If you got sick back then, You just had to hope it didn't kill you. Lazarus is waiting on Jesus, and Jesus delays on purpose because he is setting something up. Do not miss this because this is happening for a lot of y'all right now. You've had some hard things happen to you. You've been hurt. Some of you have gone through abuse. If the statistics are true, One out of four people in this room have been sexually abused or will be sexually abused before you turn 20 years old. That's just statistic. There have been some difficult things that some of you have had to go through, and you've probably waited on God to come through, and God hasn't yet come through the way you prayed, and you're probably wondering what's happening. While you're wondering and while you're waiting, God is working, and we believe that as Christians. Let me read this to you from John chapter 11. We're going to skip to verse 14 and 15. In verse 14, so Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Keep it up there. Keep it up there. Do you see this? On the surface, this makes Jesus look evil. 
on the surface, if you don't understand what's going on here, this makes Jesus mean, vindictive, cold, and uncaring. If you don't look a little bit deeper. Jesus says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there. He's talking to his disciples here. Mary and Martha are hours away in Bethany, and now they're grieving, they're weeping, they're crying because their brother is dead. Jesus has let Lazarus die. It's not what a best friend does for a best friend, at least not to us. And and now Jesus says, I'm glad for you I wasn't there. Why would he possibly say that? Well, he tells us, so that you may believe. What if every hard thing you've ever had to go through, what if every tear-filled night in your room by yourself, what if all the insecurity, what if all the anxiety, what if the depression that some of you have really suffered from, what if the brokenness that you have on the inside that very few people see, What if the things that have hurt you the most were all not intended by God to hurt you, but part of God's plan to use those hard things so that you would believe in him? Because listen, y'all, I've been a Christian for 35 years, and I'm going to tell you right now, if my God is not big enough, strong enough, smart enough, and powerful enough, to redeem every bad thing and restore every broken thing, he is not worthy of my worship. But I believe that my God can and will restore every bad thing and redeem every broken thing. And just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that God's not doing it. Mary and Martha did not understand what Jesus was doing. The disciples did not understand what Jesus was doing. And the reason why is because Jesus is God and we can't understand God. Good Lord, I can't even understand math. I certainly don't understand cats. I'm even more confused by the cat people that have 35 of them. I'm confused by simple things. There's no way I can understand God. If I could understand God fully and completely, he wouldn't be God. He'd just be another one of y'all. Both of my sons are in this room right now. I love my boys. I know a lot about my boys, but I don't fully understand even my own two children, Jacob and Jojo. How could I possibly understand everything that God is doing? There is a mystery to God's plan, but listen, he always reveals it when the time is right. But it takes time to set things up. Let's go back to the scripture. I want you to see this. In this passage of scripture, Jesus goes on in verses 20 through 27 to say this. So Jesus now goes to Bethany. He's there. And it says in verse 20, as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Verse 23, 
Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Jesus is smart enough to take the bad things that have happened to you and bring something good out of it. And in just about 10 or 12 minutes here, we're going to see it happen. Because what Jesus is about to do here is he is about to give us an example of what it looks like to be reborn literally. Don't miss this. He waited on purpose. Why? Because a miracle first requires a mess. You don't get a miracle without a mess. A miracle can only happen when something really terrible has preceded that. I've seen miracles in my life. I've seen God heal people. I've seen God mend marriages. I've seen Jesus save people in this room, probably thousands of them. I've been preaching at Anderson University since early 90s. I'd I'd say I've seen over 1,000 people come to Christ right there in those red seats you're sitting in. I saw a miracle happen in my life as a 14-year-old eighth grader when I fell on my knees at the altar at a small Pentecostal church in Greer, not far from here, and I asked Jesus to save me. And while I was praying, he called me to preach the gospel. While I'm getting saved, he calls me to preach the gospel. I got a two-for-one deal. A miracle first requires a mess. Look at John eleven thirty-two through 40. Jesus tells the sisters that Lazarus is going to live again, but he's dead. Y'all, he's not just kind of dead. He's really dead. This is a mess. Now think about how angry and upset and confused Mary and Martha and all the other friends were with Jesus because Jesus let him die, and he could have healed him. He could have healed him. But Jesus wanted to do something better and bigger than healing a sick person. Look at... uh, The next verse, 11, verses 32 through 40. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told Jesus, Lord, there is already a stench because he has 
been dead four days. That's a mess. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? What is Jesus up to in this situation? He wants to prove to the people he's the Messiah. He wants them to believe. Let me tell you guys, the reason why we work all year to put on camp, the reason why we hire 55 or 50 or so, uh, 50 or 55 summer camp staff, the reason why we do winter conference, the reason why I get on airplanes and I fly places to preach, the reason why we do marriage conference, the reason why we do mission trips, you'll hear about them all week long, to places like Guatemala, we want you to believe. All the effort we put into this, we want you to believe. We could make more money doing other things. We could have an easier life doing other things. We could probably have a more predictable schedule doing other things. But the reason why we do what we do is the same reason why your youth pastor does what he or she does. It's the same reason why your chaperones came with you this week. It's the same reason your senior pastor studies when you don't see him studying and gets on his knees and prays for you when you don't see him praying for you. Why? We want you to believe. What do we want you to believe? We want you to believe that Jesus is good, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is risen from the dead, that Jesus can wash your sins away, that Jesus can forgive you of every bad thing you've ever done, that Jesus is powerful enough to restore all the broken things in your life, that Jesus is worth following, that Jesus is the best thing in the world, that Jesus is not a means to an end, Jesus is the end, that Jesus isn't just a road to get you to the treasure, Jesus is the treasure, that heaven wouldn't be heaven without Jesus, and you get to go to heaven, but it's only heaven because Jesus is there. We want you to believe. We want you to believe that. Because if you believe that, you'll be saved. And so Jesus says to Martha, I know you're upset, but didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. Meanwhile, the smell of a rotten human corpse is in everybody's nostrils because Lazarus is in the tomb. They didn't embalm dead bodies. They didn't put chemicals in them. They put a dead body in a tomb. They wrapped it in grave clothes, linen cloth. They put spices on top of it and oils on top of it. And in four days in the Middle East, even in a cave, in four days a human body began to stink. That's a mess. But the mess is a setup for God's miracle. And the mess that you brought with you to summer camp that you thought may never get fixed the problem that you think may never go away, the anxiety that you can't get away from, the depression that you've tried to medicate, the insecurity that you fuel and feed every time you scroll through other people's feed on Instagram and you look at their airbrushed supermodel pictures that aren't even real and you wonder, why don't I look like that? Why don't I play ball like that? Why don't I make grades like that? Why don't I have a family like that? Why don't I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend like that? Every single broken thing in us is a mess, and the good news is that mess is a magnet for the miracle of Jesus Christ. And I thought a great way to show you guys how this still happens in real life is with a true story of something that happened to me just a few years ago. You guys watch this. My mom called me and and tried to be as calm as she could be, and she said, um, "I don't, I don't want you to, to get upset. Your dad's had a had a massive heart attack. We're on our way to the hospital. He uh, died 
three times between work and uh, the, the Greenville Hospital while he was in the ambulance. Um, he had to be resuscitated. We weren't sure if he was gonna make it or, or not. Growing up, my dad was in, uh, was in retail and was a store manager, so he was working a lot. We just didn't really get to spend the kind of time together that we probably should have and, and wanted to. You know, our relationship, especially as I got older, was, was probably strained, to say the least. When I first got to the hospital, they had to, they had to put him on life support. They had to intubate him. Um, he was not, you know, breathing on his own. There wasn't a whole lot of positivity uh, coming out. It was, uh, you know, the situation was, was pretty dire. After being, being up there for, you know, a little over a week, they told us that, uh, you know, that they couldn't, they weren't measuring any type of brain activity. Um, that essentially he was, for all points and purposes, he was brain dead. They asked us at that time what his wishes were, and, and they asked my mom, did she know, and they had had a conversation. And my dad didn't want to be kept alive on, on life support. The thought of not ever being able to, you know, have my dad look at me and recognize me or, or say my name again. Uh, You know, at the end of it all, I, I just couldn't get peace about um, disconnecting life support. You know, shortly after that, his organs started to fail. And, um, you know, they told us that his, his kidneys were shutting down and that uh, basically it was the beginning of his body just failing. completely distraught at that time. Um, I left the room and went um, out into the waiting room. I walked past uh, someone who was sitting in the waiting room and uh, I realized it was Clayton. I was in the hospital in Greenville with my dad. He had just had a massive heart attack. As a result of that, I had triple bypass surgery. So I'd been in the hospital with him for 10 or 11 days. I was afraid, I was discouraged, thought my dad was gonna die, and a random guy walks into the waiting room. And honestly, I thought to myself, the last thing I wanna do right now is talk to somebody, especially at a hospital, because I bet there's some kind of crisis going on. Went up to Clayton and I said, I'm up here with my dad, and I know you don't know me, but you know, I really would like to uh, share with you what's going on and ask you to pray for my dad. We called out to God, and I really don't remember what we prayed for except that we asked God for a miracle. He walked out, I sat back down on the couch, watched the rest of the sermon, fell asleep. And to be honest with you, I really didn't give it a second thought after he walked out of the room. After he prayed, um, I just felt a peace come over me. I went back to dad's room, and as I was coming down the hallway, um, 
the main nurse that was attending him that night came out of the room and she had a, you know, had a look on her face that I thought automatically, I thought the worst had happened. I thought, you know, dad had died. And, uh, but then when I got to her, she um, started to smile and she's like, you won't believe this. Your, your dad's kidneys are, are functioning. It was right then that, you know, I knew that God had done something supernatural. Hey, Dad. I love you. I love you, Dad. Over a period of the next six weeks, they were able to take the trach out. He was able to start start um, breathing on his own and got to the point where, you know, he was actually able to talk again. He made a made a full recovery mentally. He was able to go home. We were able to take him home. Can you make this again? I was like, yeah. So so then the next day come home and all starving. You know, you think they'd never eat life. The time that I got to spend with Clayton that night in in the waiting room, uh, you know, it was a turning point and dad's recovery and I'd always wanted to talk to Clayton about it and and just share with him what God had done. It always seemed like if there was if there was an opportunity at a church where he was close by there would be a lot of people around and um, you know I, I didn't have an opportunity to, to get him just the two of us so I could talk with him about it. And, uh, one day we were, we were both at a local sporting goods store and a random guy walks up behind me in line, and he goes, Clayton, hey, you don't remember me, do you? It was it was eight years ago. Um, you know, I didn't expect I didn't expect him to, re to remember it, and um, but surprisingly, he did. I said, man, I, I remember the prayer. I remember you and I in the waiting room. Really sorry about what happened. And his face completely changed. He said, oh, Clayton. You don't know what happened, do you? Oh, he was just amazed. He was blown away. You know, um, I was really glad to get that opportunity to, to share what had happened with him because I, I, I didn't, I felt like he needed to know that he had, he had, God had used him uh, to, to be a big, big part of our family story. So when I find out that a man is actually alive that I thought had been dead for eight years, I had a lot of feelings going through my heart. I was thankful, mostly. I was amazed. I was also a little convicted that I didn't actually believe that God would do a miracle, even though Shannon and I had prayed for one eight years earlier. But honestly, I just want to meet him. Clayton. What's up? Hey, man. Hey. This is my dad. It's good to meet you, sir. Yes, sir. It's so good to hug yours, too. How you doing? I'm doing well. Man, let's sit down a minute. So you're how old? 71? 71. 71. Almost didn't make it to 71, did you? Almost went out much earlier back in 2009, yes. And I can't, honestly, I, I was so late at night, I don't remember if you asked me to pray or if I ask you to pray, or if we both just started praying. Yeah, you, well, you said, 
you, you, you told me that you wanted, you said, I want to pray for your dad right now. I'm going to pray with you right now. So, mm. Yeah. Yeah. And thank goodness you did, because I think God, God heard your prayer. And, mm. and I, I had no idea. I just assumed that you had, you had passed away. And then, and then Shannon told me the story. Yes. Uh, I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> I bet you are. I can't, I mean, I honestly can't believe I'm sitting here talking to you. Yes, sir. Um, uh, I, I see Shannon, and it's, it's hard for me to believe that uh, I'm still able to be in his life. Mm. He's, That's right. We got to say, it's never too late. Never too late. Never too late. And I can't believe it. <laughs> it's so good that I still can't believe I'm sitting here talking to you. It was just a miracle. God decided to, uh, he decided to answer a prayer and uh, to bless our family with a miracle. Something that none of the medical personnel that were tending to dad or anybody else that was there and present for that situation could attribute to science. Um, nobody had an explanation for it. It was all God. So in John chapter 11, in this story, Jesus is standing at a tomb with a dead man inside. His body has begun to rot and decay. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, in verse 41, tells them to remove the stone. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, and here's the whole reason, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in cloth, and Jesus said to them, to them, unwrap him and let him go. Why did all of this happen? And what was the culmination? The culmination is Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. They knew Jesus could heal sick people. They didn't know Jesus could raise dead people. That's why he waited. He had something better for them. He had something more beautiful to show them. They knew Jesus was a healer, but they didn't know he was the resurrection and the life. And the end of the story is Lazarus comes out of the tomb. His body that was decaying has now been made new. 
Jesus has all authority over all creation because he is the creator. And when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, every cell aligns, every organ begins to work, his brain begins to function, blood begins to flow, rotten flesh becomes new again. He reverses the curse of death and he brings life back to Lazarus. And the reason why Jesus had to call Lazarus' name with a loud shout is simply this. Jesus has so much authority. If he had not identified who he was talking to, every dead body in the ground that had ever died since the beginning of time would have answered his voice and obeyed his authority, and every dead body would have come up out of the ground. So when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, this was the seventh sign of the Messiah in John's gospel. You probably didn't know that. I didn't know that until someone taught it to me. John doesn't call these kinds of events miracles. John calls them signs. Let me tell you what the first six were. The first sign in John's gospel that all the Jews were looking for, if a man claimed to be the Savior and the Messiah, they had to, listen, they had to show every one of these seven signs to prove that they were really God in the flesh. The first one was turning water to wine. The second sign was the healing of the official's son. The third sign was the healing of a paralytic. The fourth sign was feeding 5,000 men plus their families. The fifth sign was when Jesus defied and suspended the laws of gravity and walked across the top of the water on the Sea of Galilee. The sixth sign was Jesus healing a blind man. And the seventh sign, John even says it right here in this chapter, is Jesus raising a man from the dead. The seventh sign of the Messiah. And would you believe that in John's gospel, the word believe right here in chapter 11 is mentioned seven times. Jesus says to believe seven times. Jesus performs the seventh sign. And Jesus did it for Lazarus. But what if it wasn't just for Lazarus? What if Jesus didn't raise Lazarus from the dead just so that Lazarus could get a few more years on the end of his life? What if Jesus did all of this? What if Jesus waited two days until he went to Bethany? What if Jesus knew that Mary and Martha are weeping for their brother, but he let them cry because he had a bigger plan in store? What if Jesus on purpose delayed and waited so that he could raise Lazarus from the dead so that when Lazarus came back to life, the Jews would believe in Jesus? 2,000 years later in Anderson, South Carolina, a room with 900 teenagers and adults would hear this story. And what if Jesus did all of that so some of you could believe tonight? That's exactly what he did. 
I didn't know that Shannon's dad was alive for eight years. I thought he was dead. Some of you have had dead things in your life. Your hope has died. Your faith has died. Your joy has died. Your love has grown cold. And I'm telling you right now, tonight, it's time for some of you to be reborn. But if you want to be reborn, you simply have to believe. That's the step. Believe. Did I not tell you if you believed in me, you would see the glory of God? I am glad that he is sick. I'm glad that this is happening so that you might believe. Jesus is trying to get your attention. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He saved Shannon's dad in the hospital. And some of you are about to get saved right now from death and from hell and from judgment and from pain and discouragement and depression. He is going to save you from bad things and he is going to save you for greater things. And he's going to do it right now because some of you are ready to believe. Why? Because you've already prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to draw you to Jesus. And when you pray, God listens. And when we're waiting, God's working. We've been waiting about 35 or 40 minutes since I started this message. And while we've been waiting and you've been listening to me, God's been working. And some of you right now are feeling it in your heart. Your heart's about to beat out of your chest. You you feel like people around you are going to hear it and feel it. And you're thinking, this is for me. I need to do this. This is everything I've ever needed. This is what I'm feeling right now. How does that preacher up on that stage with no hair and a beard? know anything about me. Guess what? I don't know anything about you, but I know God and God knows you and God tells me things to say that I could not possibly know, but he knows because he loves you and he did all of this for you so that you would believe. Now it's time to be reborn. For some of you, that moment is right now. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to open your hearts. Don't move. Don't get up. I want you to be still before the Lord. And I want to invite you right now to believe in Jesus. So with your eyes closed and your hearts open, it's time. This is the moment your whole entire life has been moving toward. The biggest moment of your life right now. Like Jesus called Lazarus by name out of the tomb. He is calling you by name right now to be saved. To put your faith and trust in Jesus and believe Messiah, to believe that he is resurrected from the dead, to believe he died on the cross in your place to take your sins away, to believe he is coming back again, and to believe he is worthy of your life. So if you're ready to believe that, you're ready to put your faith in Jesus, pray this to him right where you sit. Pray it to him right now. You don't have to pray it out loud. Pray it in your heart. He's listening, and he'll save you the minute you tell him that you this to him. Jesus, I need you. I give you my life. I give you the hard things, the sins, the dead places, my shame, my regrets. I believe in you, Jesus. And I ask you to save me now. I will follow you. I love you, Jesus. I'm yours now. Forever. 
eyes closed. Don't look. Don't look at what other people are doing. This is about you and Jesus right now. Like Jesus called Lazarus to move, I'm calling you to move. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to do one simple thing. I want you to raise your hand straight up above your head right now if you just prayed and asked Jesus to save you. Raise it up high. I want you to straighten it out. Don't go halfway. Let's go all in. Come on. Straighten your hand all the way out up above your head. Keep it up. If you just prayed and asked Jesus to save you and you meant it, raise your hand high. Keep your hand up. Now, I'm not going to call you to the front, but I am going to ask you to do one more thing. Keep your hand up. You do not have to do this, but you get to do this. If you just gave your life to Jesus, you just crossed over from death to life, and you're headed for heaven, and you're a child of the King. But I'm going to ask you to make it public. I'm going to ask you to identify yourself as a new believer in Jesus. So I'm going to ask everybody that just prayed to receive Christ, do more than put your hand up. I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. Go. Stand up. If you just pray to receive Christ, stand up on your feet and boldly proclaim, I believe in Jesus. I believe I put my faith in him. Once you stand up, you can put your hand down. Just stand up and stay standing. Right now, stay up. Stay up. Stand up and stay up. Stand up and stay up. There's no shame in the gospel. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to ramp this up a little bit. Nobody clap or say anything. Everybody open your eyes. Look around. The lights are on. Don't say a word. Don't clap. Don't cheer. Don't shout. There are more of you that just prayed to receive Christ, but you're afraid. You're afraid to stand up. You're scared of what people will think. You're you're embarrassed. You're ashamed. And I'm going to call that out right now. That is not from God. That's from the devil. He wants to make you doubt your salvation. He wants you to be afraid of what people will think. Let me tell you what people are going to think. We're going to think, wow, they just got saved. That's the best thing in the whole wide world. And we're going to celebrate your salvation because we know how good it is. So, so I'm going to ask again. I'm going to ask again. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. Stay standing, brother. Stay standing, man. We're bold. Stand back up. I'm going to ask again. Who just got saved and you're still sitting? You know you just prayed to receive Christ and you need to stand up right now. And the minute you do it, you will feel the courage of the Holy Spirit come into you. I'm going to ask right now, stand up if you just gave your life to Jesus. Don't be embarrassed. Right there on the front row. My man. Who else? Who else? Stand up right now. Crossroads. We're going to do the invitation a little differently tonight. It's a different season. Stay standing. Because this is the first night of the first week of this entire summer camp. And this is going to stir faith in our staff, in me. So I'm going to do this quickly. And I'm going to count everybody that's standing up right now that gave their life to Jesus. Just stay standing. One, two, three, four. 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 
45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, 70, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 100. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 115 people just publicly responded to the gospel. And we're not ashamed of it. And there is nothing to be afraid of. I want to say to everybody that's standing up right now, praying a prayer doesn't save you, raising your hand doesn't save you, standing up doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And he just did because you put your faith in him and you believe he's the Messiah. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. Welcome to the family of God. You get a whole life to learn how to follow him as a disciple. Stay standing. Don't sit down. I want two things to happen right now. I want every youth leader and youth pastor to make a note of who is standing up from your group because when we dismiss after a couple songs of worship and celebration, you're going to go to church group time and we want the adults to be ready and prepared to disciple and, and to have a conversation about baptism with everybody that's standing up. That's the first thing. So youth pastors, don't sit down. Don't sit down. Youth pastors, notice who's standing up. Now, as the band prepares to lead us in some music that is going to get our hearts where they need to be, I want everybody in this room to absolutely lose your mind because we have just witnessed a miracle of miracles and a sign of the Messiah right here in this room with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope today's podcast gave you some little secrets for your big breakthrough. If you are inspired and encouraged by this message, don't forget to check out our Crossroads Winter Conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee in January 2022. You can find information about this event on our Clayton King Ministries website. Also, our speakers would love to be a part of your next event or speak at your church. You can request a speaker on claytonking.com forward slash speakers. And finally, please let us know how this podcast has impacted you on our Overcoming Monday Instagram account. You can send me a DM or leave a comment. Thanks for listening. I hope I've given you something to overcome your Monday.